you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and we'll, um, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 23. Most of you know that uh, this week I was in Texas. I left last uh, Sunday to go down and get my mom on the coast. We headed toward uh, Texas on Monday and uh, stayed in Houston and then in Austin. And uh, my, uh, my niece was graduating college and got to see a bunch of family and friends over there. Uh, got a, a sister and brother-in-law and her kids that live in Houston. And then my uh, brother, uh, younger brother lives in Austin. And I have a first cousin that lives in Austin and some other friends. So uh, it was a great time. Um, but it really hurt my heart to miss you on Wednesday especially when someone posted the picture of that food. I mean, it really hurt me not to be here. But I am glad to be back. Even though we're not eating again today, I'm glad to be back. And uh, I know we had, a, we had a good week. If you would please stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God. And just before we start reading, I want to remind you, uh, last time we looked at Paul moving into Ephesus and and we said that he stayed here longer than anywhere else. He stayed a long time in Corinth. You know, he had been going places and staying two weeks or three months or short periods. And he stayed a good while uh, in Ephesus, uh, I mean in Corinth. But here in Ephesus, he has this great ministry. And, and he stays for a long time. And God was, remember, God was doing unusual miracles through Paul. And, um, and the people were repenting of sorcery and wickedness and all sorts of things and coming to Christ. And so uh, now we, we pick up because we always know that as, as sure as God is working, uh, uh, Satan is trying to fight him. And so we, we see kind of the effects of that in this passage beginning in verse 23. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Uh, by, by the way, <laughs> that's the term. There was no term Christianity uh, they had started calling believers Christians back in Antioch, but Christianity wasn't a term. It was known as the way. That is the way to God, the way uh, through Jesus. So serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. It began in, with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them all together along with other employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned about the temple of our great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the whole province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. At this, their anger boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, 
begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they began shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have, not, you have brought these men here, but they have not stolen anything from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session, and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them, and they dispersed. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are greater, you are stronger, you are higher. God, you are more, and you are the one true God. Lord, we um, pray that we would learn from your work in Ephesians. Father, that we would be drawn closer to you, and God, we would be used by you for your kingdom's sake. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. What are the signs of a spiritual outbreak, of a great awakening, you might call it, or a revival? What takes place when a great movement of God occurs? How does that manifest itself? How do we see it? What do you think? We don't have time to do a question and answer and me call on hands. I mean, we could do that, but... Uh, I'm going to say, a lot of us would say, well, people get saved. That's one thing, right? Uh, we might say lives are changed, that people go from living lives of destruction to living positive lives when, when God changes their heart and moves them in a new direction. Uh, we, might, uh, we might talk about some changes, positive changes in society. We might talk about love and kindness and joy spreading. But most of us would not say, it's the economy. Most of us would not say, yeah, there's going to be a, a huge economic turmoil when God is at work. But it's interesting to know, not only in this place, but this is a great example. In many times, when God begins to move and work and change, there will be econo economic turmoil because many times... People build businesses. They place their financial wherewithal into immoral and ungodly places of business. And when God begins to move, he begins to work, he begins to change lives. People move away from those things. 
And, and these types of economies, these businesses that rely on ungodly, wicked, or immoral uh, uh, things, they're affected greatly. And that's what we have happen here in this book. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that there was this huge bonfire and people were, they were throwing these writings, these spells or occultic works into a bonfire and burning them up and saying, we don't believe in that, we don't trust in that, we trust in God. And this wasn't just some little El Cheapo stuff. This was $5 million was the value of the things that they were burning and saying, we have nothing uh, to, to, to do with this anymore. And, and, you know, Christians were rejoicing, but there were some folks that weren't rejoicing. There were some folks that were really upset. They were really disgruntled. And, and Demetrius was the one who really put this all together. You see, he was a very shrewd businessman. He wasn't just the guy that made the little silver idols himself. No, he employed those guys. He had a big shop, and he employed many craftsmen, many tradesmen, and they all created uh, these silver, they would either be images of the goddess Artemis or of the temple itself. You see, the whole economy uh, of Ephesus was caught up in the worship of this pagan goddess. We, don't, uh, we often think of the, the great buildings uh, in Greece and in Rome. Uh, most of us know about the Parthenon, how big and how great it was. The temple for Artemis in Ephesus was four times the size of the Parthenon. So if you've ever seen the Parthenon in person or you've ever seen pictures and you said, wow, you need to imagine a building four times that size. Another way of looking at it is the temple to Artemis in Ephesus was both wider and longer than a football field. It was a huge center of pagan worship. We see a man talking later on in the passage about this goddess falling down to us from heaven. And what he was referring to is the ancient people. There was a large meteorite that landed in that area. And this big, large, lumpy meteorite, they said, that's the goddess. You see, the goddess Artemis was um, the uh, fertility goddess. And she was kind of unlike a lot of the other Greek gods that maybe portrayed as, as beautiful or handsome. Uh, she was kind of a grotesque figure. But they said, that's the goddess, fell down from heaven. And they all worshipped, and their economy was all tied into this. And Demetrius started saying, you know, I heard about that bonfire. I heard about these people. You know, I, I had one of my regular customers. I said, you ready to get a, a, a new little idol? No, I'm, I don't do those anymore. And I talked to somebody else, and, and he said, yeah, I'm hearing that same thing. And, and someone else, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still doing good business now, but what's about to happen? He had some foresight. And so he gathers around other tradesmen who are all in on this pagan worship of the goddess Artemis. And it gets them all uh, uh, fired up. He starts by talking about money. He knows that will get their interest. He says, guys, if we don't do something now, we're going to lose our business. The signs are there. Look, you may think you're still doing okay, but watch. You're getting less customers and less customers. The more this Christian stuff spreads, we got to look at it. And then, you know, they were already a little upset by that, but then he adds the religious element on top of it. 
He says, oh, and they're putting down our great goddess Artemis, and, and her name is going to be besmirched, and, and her glory is going to be lost. We can't allow this. And they, they burst out chanting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. If you want to get the effect of the frenzied crowd, think about what's about to happen on Saturdays in just a week or two. As SEC football gets started, you get these people all riled up, right? And so they, they search for Paul. They don't find him. And they grab him, and they go down uh, the main path through Ephesus, which would have been uh, about 12 yards wide. It would have been colonnaded, this very fancy uh, uh, rich city, they rushed through down to the amphitheater. There, the um, historians tell us that that amphitheater would have held around 24,000 people. And this place fills up. And the Bible says there's people who don't even know, some of them don't even know why they're there. There's like, hey, everybody's going that way. Let's go. Maybe there's free food. You know, there, maybe somebody's going to get beat up. We don't know, but it's going to be exciting. And they all rush into this stadium. And, and they're fussing, and they're, they're shouting, and this great turmoil is going on. They couldn't find Paul to grab him, so they found a couple of other guys that traveled with Paul. And all this commotion's going on. The Jews push forward a Jew named Alexander, and they want to set the record straight. Luke doesn't go into detail about why, but we can imagine that they were going to say, don't associate these Christians with us. We're not the bad people. They're the bad people. But the Bible says as soon as he starts to talk, everybody uh, heard and realized that he was a Jew, and they started shouting him down. By the way, anti-Semitism is nothing new. It's been going on for years and years. God's people have been a hated and despised people uh, for, throughout history, as long as they've existed. And in the Roman Empire, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. So they, they shout him down, and the shouting keeps on going. For two hours, they're chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they were worked into a frenzy. They were probably going hoarse, but they kept chanting it because they had, they had uh, pinpointed the things that really make people mad, their pocketbook and their religion, and they had combined both of these and said, We're really mad about this. Finally, the city official stands up. And he says, guys, we need to calm down here. Number one, these guys didn't uh, go into your temple and rob it. Number two, uh, they have not been out directly attacking your temple. And that's true. They weren't really preaching against Artemis. They were just preaching Jesus. And they said, number three, the courts are open. If you have a real, uh, a real legitimate beef, if, if you think you have a good ground to stand on with these people, the courts are open. The, the proconsuls will listen. They'll hear the case. Take it there. And fourth and finally, if there's anybody in trouble today or in danger uh, of being said to breaking the law, of anybody getting uh, in trouble, it's us. The Romans could come in and, and they could say there was this unlawful riot and we could all lose our privileges. You see, Ephesus was a free city. The Roman government, of course, took their little, little share of taxes, but they pretty much let Ephesus do what they wanted. And the mayor, or mayor figure, who, whatever you want to call him, he, uh, he said, guys, we have a lot to lose here. 
We need to calm down, and, and we need to let these people go. And he, with that, he dismissed the people, and they all went their separate ways. Now, here's the interesting thing about Demetrius. Was he a rabble-rouser? Yeah. <laughs> was he, was he hot-blooded? <laughs> Did he not really think too well, or plan too well about how he was going to carry out all this and what he was going to do? Yes, 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 yes to all of the above. But Demetrius saw something that others didn't. Demetrius was not wrong about the goddess Artemis and her worship and their trade going away. The Bible, uh, I mean, excuse me, history records that years later, the Apostle John, who was uh, the last of the apostles, he lived the longest of those original apostles, that he traveled to Ephesus and he prayed for the power of Artemis to be broken. Ephesus was already growing with Christianity, growing and growing. And actually, Paul had a training center there where he, he would send people out from there to go plant churches in different places across the province of Asia. Apostle John comes by years later, and Yale, a Yale historian tells the story of his prayer that God's power would cast out that evil power. And the story from history goes that at that moment that he said, Amen, uh, the, the statue of Artemis split in half and was broken and fell to the ground. By the time another hundred years had passed, the worship of the goddess Artemis had largely passed away. And Ephesus was a center of Christianity where it would be a leading Christian uh, center for for uh, growth and for preaching and for outreach for hundreds of years to come. What do we learn from this story? We learn that even God's goodness and his work is not always well met. We often assume that if we're doing the right things, then life is going to go easy. Life should be smooth. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm sharing with others. I'm doing the Christian thing. So my life ought to be pretty easy, right? I mean, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. Shouldn't things go smoothly? But that's not what God promises in his word. Instead, he promises his presence. Instead, he tells us that as we confront the forces of darkness. As we sang this morning, we are Christian soldiers. We are part of his work moving forward into this world, doing his mission. As we go out and do that, as we confront evil, perhaps many times not even directly, the apostles and the other Christians weren't going out and picketing and protesting the temple of Artemis. They were simply telling people there is one true God, not made of silver or stone or woods, wood, not made by hands, but there is a creator God who is over all. He created all things. And as they preach the message of this God who was not fickle like the ancient uh, Greek and Roman gods and goddesses, but one true God who was filled with love for people, that word was accepted. That was believed. And as wonderful as a thing as that was, it caused tension. It caused problems in society. Why? Because society was opposed. It was, that society was built on ungodly things. Can you imagine what would happen if there was a true 
spiritual outbreak of Christianity in this country. You know how you'd really know it? You'd know it by the people that were getting mad. The people who normally ignore Christians and don't bother with them or, or laugh at them and think they're nothing. If all of a sudden you see the pimps and the pornographers and the pill pushers and every other sort of evil a business person, those who make money off of exploitation of people, if they were to stand up and say, we got to get rid of these Christians, they're ruining our business, you'd know you'd know that revival was breaking out. Because Christianity, while it is something that you enter into a life through faith, through belief, it does not matter, it does not remain simply something we believe in our head or even both in our head and our heart. It affects what we do and how we live. And as a community and as a, uh, a county, a state, a nation, the more people move, toward godliness the more they move away from ungodly things and when people move away from ungodly things it makes ungodly people unhappy it affects them in an economic way when they lose business we ought to be aware that our christianity is not something that is harmless or unoffensive to everyone the Bible says that the message of the cross is an offense to those who do not believe. And you and I simply have a choice today. We can make our number one goal in life to be unoffensive. We're going to be nice. We're going to not hurt anyone's feelings. We're not going to bother anyone. We will close our mouths. We will be silenced and we will never share the gospel of Jesus Christ because it might offend someone. But at the time, we will be offending the only one who really matters. Or we can choose to reverence and fear our God and our maker. Knowing that as we live our lives as Christians, as we preach and teach and live out the truth, many people will be blessed, many people will be happy, but some will not like it. And perhaps we will even suffer because our life as Christians has offended other people. And yet we know that that suffering is only going to bring us more glory in God's eyes, more blessing from him, and more of his presence as he walks with us through the difficulties we face in life. I want to urge you today, don't make the goal of your life to be nice, to be inoffensive, to be polite. I'm not saying those are bad things, and I'm not saying we should purposely be weird or offensive or off-putting as Christians. But if we put niceness and politeness and, and being unoffending to anyone, is if we make those our greatest values in life, then we will inevitably shrink back from what God has called us to do. He calls us to go forward, to live, to speak, to love in boldness and in truth. And he'll take care of us, whatever we face, whatever the cost may be. It'll be nothing compared to the way that God's hand will be with us, to the spiritual blessings, the peace of heart and mind that he'll bring. Would you pray with me?
Father God, Lord, we enter into times in life, and God, this world we live in, we are so tempted to shut our mouths. I mean, everywhere around us, uh, we see and we hear tales of people uh, being ridiculed, being threatened, uh, being persecuted, being fired, being put down, uh, for simply stating things that they believe. And so, God, we are all tempted because we, we all like a nice life. We all like to avoid pain, and we're so tempted, Father. We admit we're tempted to simply sit back in the shadows, to avoid conflict so that we may avoid pain. But, Lord, you tell us that part of experiencing the power of the resurrection is also experiencing the fellowship of suffering with your son Jesus. That just as he took up a cross on Calvary's hill, so you too have called us to take up our cross daily and deny ourselves and follow you. God, save us from a crossless gospel. Save us from a crossless Christianity which looks good and superficially it's pretty and it's nice, but it has no power to change lives because it's all about niceties. God, you didn't call us to be nice. You called us to be holy. You called us to serve you to love you with all of your heart, our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us, God. Forgive us where we failed you and help us to serve you with everything we have, regardless of the cost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.